Good morning. It's good to have this number out with us for our first half of our worship service. And what a, a blessed day we have today. It's, it's not raining. The weather couldn't be more perfect of a, of a spring morning. This morning, I want us to talk about something significant. Which one of all of our lessons we, we think about our spirituality is significant. But Christ makes something, well, says something odd. He, he calls himself something odd. If you're just reading over it, you might say, well, what is he talking about? Just what, how can he call himself that? John chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, be opening up there with me to John chapter 10. And we're going to read verse 9. John chapter 10, verse 9. As Christ calls himself this thing, and uh, we used one this morning. You might not realize it. It might have already been opened unto you. You might even opened it yourself. But you used the door to come into the building. Christ calls himself the door. Why would he call himself the door? That is very significant. If you have not used this door, you are not in the church. If you have not used the door, who is Christ? You're lost. And unfortunately, whenever we depart, we have our closing prayer. And as we depart and go our separate ways, before we come back to the second part of our worship service, you're going to walk back out of that door. And spiritually speaking, you can also walk back out this same door and become lost once again. We're going to cover these topics this morning. But as we read John chapter 10, verse 9, Christ says this. He's, he's trying to teach about him being the good shepherd, but he calls himself the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Context is important. He's talking about the sheepfold, the representation of the sheepfold. All of the sheep being in the sheepfold and the sheep hearing their shepherd's voice, they follow him and they go out that door. Christ is this door. Entering into what, you might ask, is the church. You're entering into Him as well. So with that being said, it says the door. This, this door that you have to enter in says, wait a minute, what, what, what are you talking about, Jeremy? So what I'm talking about is entering into the church that's pleasing or approved of God. If we notice this little uh, context here, and, and we continue on reading verse 9, a thief is made mention of. Well, a thief and a robber are going to come in through the window. Come in some other way other than the door. And that thief is going to do, try to do nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. He says that in verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The word life is used. As we turn back a few verses in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Christ says this. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want us to take notice of that. The word through. Him referring back to the door and the word through. Now, as we have read both of those verses, keep that relationship as walking to the door, or walking through the door to come into your house or enter into this, this, this auditorium in a worship service. So whenever Christ says this, 
So turn back with me, find my bookmark, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And we're actually going to cover a verse that many folks know by heart. But they might not be fully aware of the verse that's in their heart and they, they have a good remembrance of and they're not fulfilling what the verse actually means. John chapter 3. Now here we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night secretively to ask him a question. He doesn't actually get to ask this, ask this question, but Christ answers it nevertheless because he sees the, the, the turmoil that's in Nicodemus as he's coming to him, and he already knows the question. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's asking Jesus, how does one come to God? How does one enter into the kingdom? Christ says you got to be born again. Of course, Nicodemus is a little confused about this. Is this born again? Well, of course, I put flesh on you, and I put flesh on when we was born into this world. Nicodemus is a little confused, and he asks, well, how can someone be born again? Can someone enter into the mother's womb again and be born again? Of course, we can't do this. This is a grown man. Christ says in verse 5, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the verse that everyone is familiar with, we see it everywhere. 3.16. John 3.16. So many people, that's, that's, I'm holding my quotes, Mark. Their go-to verse. Well, God loves me. He's just going to save me. <laughs> there are requirements on our part for that to happen. Yes, God does love the world. The reason why he sent his son, John 3.16, is so that you and I may have an opportunity to be saved. It's not automatic. So we see Nicodemus coming to Christ and Christ trying to answer him. Of course, he answers many questions today. What must I do to be saved? Well, like I said, there are requirements for us to fulfill. And in the verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, sure, if you just read that verse, I believe that there's, there's a Christ. I, I believe that he was here. Well, I'm here to tell you right now, the demons believe and tremble. So therefore, belief only is not enough. Again, you read James chapter 2 and faith only is not enough. Faith is believing in things unseen with evidence that proves that that's there. So now, we read John 3.16. So many people's go-to verse. Read verse 17 with me. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The word might. Like I said, it's not automatic. <coughs> might. So wait a minute. What requirements must I do? What what requirements must I do to go through Christ? We made mention of it. We, we just made mention of it. In verse 5, Christ tells Nicodemus, he of course tells us today, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What's the water and what's the Spirit? First off, we've got to change our hearts. We've got to change our motivations from being sinners to being saints. That motivation that will to do something. Keep in mind, Paul was Christ's chosen vessel. 
He was Christ's chosen vessel, yet he had sin. We learn that in Romans chapter 7, that Paul had the will to not sin, but he hated it when he did. So therefore, we've got to make a change. We've got to make a course correction, if you will. Because if you're abiding in sin, you are lost. If you have given your God, your heart to God through baptism and turned back to the world, you're lost as well. So, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Did, did, was my sins not washed away? Did Christ not die for my sins? Therefore, my, my sins are covered, right? In a matter of speaking, they are. Keep your finger in John chapter 2. So if you want to turn to Romans chapter 6, the idea of dying to sin, abiding in it no more, not participating in it. And we're going to see uh, being baptized into Christ's death. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Again, context. I'll say that every single time. is important. Verse 20, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's telling them that there is more grace, or God has more grace in the world than there's sin. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Well, that's, well, well, let's just help God out by sinning more. Let's just continue in sin. No, 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 no. Wrong thought, wrong idea. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Right, the idea of helping God out since he has more grace than there is sin in the world. Let's just continue to sin. Uh, he says, certainly not. He doesn't actually say it. He screams it. The exclamation point is there. He says, certainly not. He shouts it out. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Folks, that's Christians. That is someone who has given their heart to God through baptism and making the decision to abide in sin. You are no longer abiding in Christ. You have separated yourself from him and you are lost, but with a greater condemnation because you knew better. Now, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know in verse 3 that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? So wait a minute. You mean baptism was two purposes? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Baptism has two purposes. One, to wash your sins away, and the other is to access into the, into the church by putting Christ on. Again, you find that in Galatians 3.27 that you have put Christ on when you were immersed or baptized for the remission of sins. So now, turn back to John chapter 2, verse 17. Of course, many folks know 16, and we understand 16. So, so the idea of, of perishing, I don't, that doesn't sound good. So, but God loves me. Isn't he just going to save me? Again, requirements for us. we got to go through Christ. We got to be immersed. We got to be baptized for the remission of sins. We read that this morning in Acts chapter 2. When that question arised by Peter's sermon, it's, he told them that through lawless hands you have crucified this Jesus. The Son of God you have crucified. And they was cut to the heart. And they asked men and brethren, what shall we do to get rid of this horrible sin? Peter told them, repent, every one of you. Be baptized for the remission of your sins so as you can take on the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's given to you and many who are far off. They're far off. It's us today. The same promise was given to those folks, and they were actually moved. They actually performed. 3,000 of them responded, and 3,000 was added to the church. And folks, they was active. 
They was on fire for God. They was ready for Christ's return and they stay steadfast daily praising in the temple. I want to ask a question. How often do we praise God when we're separated from with the saints? When we're, we're not in a worship setting. When we haven't assembled in like manner and like mind. Are we still praising God with the acts that we do? Because we can make the decision to live as the world. We can have that carnal mind after baptism. Abiding in sin and death will arise. Paul continues on in Romans chapter 6. Saying we crucified something. We died to sin. We crucified the old man. We put the new man on. But something sad happens when we turn right back to sin. We die. We die spiritually. And what a sad state that we're in. So the door that we're referring to is Christ. First off, we've got to enter in through that door through baptism. Washing our sins away, putting Him on, and walking our spiritual walk hand in hand with Him. But unfortunately, we sin and fall short. We know we do this because 1 John chapter 1 Verse 9. Well, first off, verse 8. We've got to read verse 8 along with verse 9 of 1 John chapter 1. To, to call yourself as a sinner is required from God. You can't say that you're sin-free because you're not deceiving God, you're deceiving yourself. And something significant. I keep saying that word significant because it's important to know that we're sinners and we need God's help. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Christ makes mention to those believing Jews in John chapter 8, verse 32. He says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That idea of being free from your sins. Abiding in Christ, His blood continually cleanses us when we confess our sins. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So are we sinners? Most assuredly we are. We fall short. We stumble. We have to confess our sins. We need to repent of those acts, turning away from them and asking God for His forgiveness. When we ask for that forgiveness, He'll forgive us. He'll restore us. We see those examples with Israel in the Old Testament. We see that repetitive act of them just disobeying God, even to the point of those 3,000 souls who were added to the church as part of the same household. They turned away from their sins and they come to God. How did they do that? By being immersed. Now when I say baptized, the word is baptizo. That's how it's translated. Baptizo means immersed. Completely submerged. We made mention of that in uh, Romans chapter 6. Well, actually, we didn't read verse 4. Let's read verse 4 of Romans chapter 6. 
Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Did you notice that death was made mention of? Or, or buried was mentioned of? Folks, when we bury someone today, we tend to put them six feet in the ground. Did you, do you know the, why the number six? You might think, why, why the number six? Well, number six goes back to the, the animals not being able to smell in the decayed body. That's, and they, they're, they're not going to dig it up. The reason why we bury them is because they're, they're covered. We're buried with him. So therefore, if we're buried with him, we need to be covered. Completely immersed. Even the tip of your finger, the little tip of your finger, if it's not completely submerged, it's not pleasing in the eyes of God. My mind goes back to that, that lady who was so afraid of water. And it was like a big wash tub, just big enough to, to be completely in. And she made a conscious decision that she needed to change. She needed to give up the sins in her life to put Christ on. So they assisted her to immerse her. But her re knee-jerk reaction was to hang on to the sides of that jug and her, and her just under her wrists didn't go under. When she, she, she popped up out of the water and she thought it was over, they went, no, nope, got to go again. She was distraught again, afraid of water. The second time, they told her, just hang on to your shirt. And she went completely under. Then she put Christ on. This disproves burying, submersion, or immersion, completely cast out, sprinkling, splashing. We don't splash someone with dirt or sprinkle someone with dirt when they're buried. We cover them. Keep that, keep that in mind. To go through the door, that is Christ, into the church, we have to follow our instructions to the letter. Obeying the truth. Keep in mind, when you alter the truth, it's no longer the truth, it's a lie. Christ says the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He has, just says nothing about the lie. Making us free. So we turn back to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27. You might say, well, I've entered into the door and I call myself a sinner but I can't seem to change my life. I, I seem to be abiding in sin. The writer of Hebrews here says it very clearly and it's a stern warning to those abiding in sin. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth... After you have entered into the doorway that is Christ, someone who has been immersed, someone who is walking this earth as a Christian. I use that term lightly because a lot of folks do these days. By just calling themselves a Christian, folks, that ain't enough. We've got to behave like Christ, to be Christ-like, to be a child of God. A child of God is not going to sin or that have that mindset of sin. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Again, this is someone who has been immersed. Sinning willfully. Knowing I need to do this and, or, or not do this. 
and do it anyway or do something that's not pleasing to God. <clears throat> Excuse me. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's sad. That is sad. To know that you have just counted the blood of Christ a common thing. We're going to read that in the next few verses. And trampled the name of God underfoot. You see, I didn't do that. I would never trample on God. I would never despise or count the blood of Christ a common thing. I would never do that. We do that when we put Christ on and we continue to sin. Because we died to it. Romans 6 says we died to it. Did, did, Paul said it. How, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We can't. Being alive in it means we're abiding in it. We're continuing in it. Daniel read John chapter 15. What a wonderful verse to read for this lesson. That verses that he read, read was 1 through 15. Uh, what was it? 1 through, let me turn there real quick. John chapter 15, it was the true vine through verse 8. That's what he read. Yep, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8 is what Daniel read. And I was appreciative of that. We did not coordinate that at all. But notice whatever he says in verse 6 if you're not abiding in Christ. Even after you've put him on, you've walked back out of that door like, you're, like all of us are going to, to go for lunch. Or the intermission, if you will, before we come back to the second lesson. All of us are going to go through the door. Leaving your homes, you're going to go out the door. We, can, we have the choice to go back out the door, that is Christ, to go live in the world. Therefore, there is no sacrifice for sins. And we're going to continue in Hebrews. I hope you kept your finger there. John chapter 15. Notice what he says in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. The absence of that sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 10 verse 27. He who abides in sin, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, you should expect this fiery indignation that we're going to read about. But that no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignations which will devour the adversaries. Do you consider yourself an adversary of God? If you're abiding in sin, if you have yet to put Christ on, Him being the door to get into the church, you are an adversary of God. You know what happens to the adversaries of God? The same thing as those withered, cast out branches. Burned. You find that in Revelations 10 and verse 20. That lake of fire where the, oh, the devil and all the false prophets and all those followers of Satan are going to be. For an eternity, let me add. Continuing on in verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 10. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Another lesson in and of itself. Of how much more worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and here we go, and insulted the Spirit of grace. Wow. Did you realize how much it hurts God when we turn back to sin? When we sin knowingly. 
So let's not sin knowingly anymore if we're doing it this morning. The beginning of this lesson was designed to encourage you to come to Christ on a certain level. I want you to look at yourself right now. Within your spiritual spiritual self or your spiritual standing, are you wearing Christ this morning? If you are not wearing Christ this morning, let me encourage one thing. Without Him, we can do nothing. We read that in John 15, 5. This morning. Without Him, we're lost. John 3, 16, we read, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that those who believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God, Christ did not come to condemn the world. He didn't, condemn, he, he didn't come to condemn the world. It was already condemned. He came so it may be saved through Him. So we got to go through Christ. Him being the door, entering into the church, and then being in the church or living faithfully in the eyes of God for the rest of our life. Revelations 2.10. But have you sinned and have you fallen short? The second half of this, of this lesson was to encourage those abiding in sin to stop doing it and do it no more. Keep in mind, Paul screams it. Romans 6, 2. I got another lesson to go because I'm not going to scream. He screams it out, certainly not. We can't do that. We can't abide in sin. Help God out by sinning more. Let's help God out by stop sinning altogether because He hates it, God does. He hates sin. He hates what it does to His children. He hates what it had to do, had to go and happen to His Son. One third of himself, I might add. So I want to encourage something this morning. Abiding in sin, stop doing it. Abide in God through Christ. Does that change need to happen this morning? To go from lost to saved. There is no greater time. For now, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. What that is saying is judgment day's coming. Jesus is coming to reap those who are His. Will you be added to that list? Just like those 3,000 was added after they responded to the gospel. Are you ready to respond this morning? Are you ready to turn away from your sins and walk back hand in hand with God? Confessing your sins. Coming to Him. Asking for His forgiveness. Folks, He'll restore you. Casting those sins off being restored, and continuing in your spiritual walk. Does that need to happen this morning? We offer that opportunity as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation.